This podcast was up for a few days. It didn't get many hits, but I took it down this morning because I want to make it clear that both Susan Ash and I understand that the American Kratom Association, as it is today, is an essential lobbying organization in keeping Kratom legal. Lobbying isn't bad. It's just how our system works. Lobbying takes a lot of money. That's just how our system works. Along with the community, which is the primary force, the AKA is responsible for getting these Kratom Consumer Protection Act bills in the state houses and municipal houses. We encourage you at the end, we show you that you can do your own lobbying, but you can also join with the AKA. They have a Kratom Protectors Program. You can sign up, and I'll even give you the donate link. It's AmericanKratom.org slash donate. We support that work that they're doing. But Mac Haddle reached out to me. He didn't pressure me or tell me to say anything. He was very polite. He tried to clarify some things, and I appreciate that. But Susan Ash is a part of the Kratom history, and I find this story pretty fascinating and amazing. And we do talk about problems, and I share some of my frustrations. I don't like to pretend they don't exist. It's just a conversation. Don't worry about it. None of the content on this or any episode of the Kratom Science Podcast, Kratom Science Journal Club, or on any page of KratomScience.com is intended, nor should it be considered medical claims or medical advice. This is the Kratom Science Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Gallagher, blog and social media writer for KratomScience.com, your source for all things Kratom. Episode 77. What happened is I was ousted. I was ousted unfairly. If you can get a meeting with your state representative, you don't need anybody's permission to do that. Seems like people think you need permission. Part two of my interview with Susan Ash, founder and former member of the American Kratom Association. I think what you wanted to get into a little bit was about the media. We did hire a public relations firm and I did count at one point after only being with the AKA for two years, I had done 400 media interviews and nothing like that is being done today. And I, I often wonder how do we fill that hole where positive stories or even just balanced stories are out there in the media. You just don't see them anymore. And it was because at the time we had a dedicated public relations firm to help get stories out there and they did an excellent job. Again, it was because of some of the great uh, vendors who the great generous vendors who made it possible for us to hire them. We hired a group called the Hastings group who helped with all of our polls and all of our petitions and things like that. And they helped me. They, I had professional media, media trainings. I was having so many interviews, but I needed to have professional 
training, even though my prior career, I was a lobbyist and I did PR and I did plenty of interviews with papers and television um, news. I still needed a training in media because it was just coming at me left and right. And that was before the DEA proposal. And then, of course, there were a lot after. The question in general, like, why is doing media important? I think it's pretty obvious. And the reason that was so important was because at the time, so few people knew what Kratom was. Yeah. And still. And they still don't. (laughs) They still don't. If you ask people what it is, they'll, they'll usually say either they have no idea or they'll say, Oh, you mean that stuff that's advertised in front of my gas station? Absolutely, yeah. It baffles me that there's no media campaign. That was the way that we got, you know, the general public to learn about Kratom. That was the way we got addicts who needed help to learn about Kratom. I can't tell you the number. It's it's in the hundreds of people who contacted me personally because they read my name and a story and they were addicted and they needed help and Mm. at the time I dropped everything to help people I dropped everything I possibly could to help people and I had some really good volunteers who helped manage the Facebook page so that I could drop everything to to help people but also with the media i dropped everything because it was so important for us to get good stories out there i remember nick wing was one of the big reporters at the huffington post it used to be much different than it is now but he was one of the first people to do an actual very well balanced, educated, journalistic piece on Kratom. And the first time I ever spoke to him, he didn't know what Kratom was. So talk about (laughs) spending hours of time on the phone with a reporter. But then, of course, he talked to the full spectrum of people from every opponent to every proponent and in between. He did a lot of good stories. We're missing good reporters like that because nobody's out there pursuing them and nobody's doing interviews. I don't know what's happening. I don't know. I know there must be calls that are being made for interviews to be do- to be done. There have to be. This is this is a current issue. This is an issue that a lot of people pay attention to and you would think that a lot more a lot more resources would be put into media. I just don't know where that's happening. I don't know where most resources go except to, you know, state bans, which I have yeah. my own I have my own thoughts and feelings about the Kratom Consumer Protection Act. Yeah, yeah, I want to ask you about that because on the one hand, they seem good. Uh, like I think, like a couple of the states, uh, you're in Oregon now. The one there had uh, actual funding allocated for enforcement. Uh, yes. At least last, I haven't read the recent one, uh, but it, I think it might be passing actually. But um, what 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 is it about the uh, consumer protection 
laws that that couldn't prove because i mean i like the idea of it of labeling of uh not having uh, any synthetic or adulterants in there uh only being able to sell it to adults and um, right i think there's a lot of positive in them what's lacking is something that you just can't have a law without and that's an enforcement mechanism there is no enforcement mechanism whatsoever so these laws are just being passed in name and name only and there is no except for like you said oregon and i think maybe there might be one coming out in colorado that has an enforcement mechanism there's no enforcement net mechanism. So these are great in name, but you'll see states that that have the Kratom Consumer Protection Act in force within counties in those states trying to ban it. So there's nobody out there making sure that these things are happening. Companies are voluntarily following these requirements for labeling and these age restrictions well they can't follow the age restrictions if they're following if they're selling through through to shops and they're not selling straight to the consumer we could get a lot further but they're a lot harder the bills are a lot harder to pass yeah. with a fiscal component do you they're think maybe maybe they're maybe they're like a good first step though Definitely. They're yeah, a good first yeah. step. I like to look at them as the way the marijuana lobby came yeah. up as these are very first little tiny baby steps in the effort to make Kratom legal as a whole in the United yeah. States. But the problem is each one of these bills costs so much money to pass. I mean, the cost of the lobbyists, the cost of travel, the cost of, it just doesn't add up. It, the money that's spent to go into laws that are in effect in name only, it just doesn't, it doesn't add up to me. I've been silent for a long time, but the one thing I haven't been silent about is that I don't think the money adds up. Pursuing the legislation costs a lot of money, and yet it's getting us places in name only. And so where is the rest of all of the money going? I mean, we know we know about how much it costs to hire a lobby firm in a state, how much it costs about to pass a bill. Yeah, but the Kratom the Kratom money is from Vendors. I donated uh, $25 a month for a couple years until they threw me off their mailing list. There used to be a time, and I don't know if this is still the time, but there used to be a time where the, we got more individuals as donors than we did vendors. And I should stop using the word we because this is no longer we anymore. We're heading into the... <laughs> me and the aka separate story but um no what happened is i was ousted i was ousted unfairly i was accused of some things that i absolutely did not do 
Um, the only thing that I was guilty of was being too busy and being a sloppy record keeper. Yeah, let me, um, let me, let me can I read it? Cause, sure. uh, so in 2017, you're accused by other, uh, I guess they were board members or not, <laughs> of in, yeah. the, in the AK, and we'll talk about that too. Okay, in 2017, you're accused by the other people in the AKA of financial improprieties. I'm reading from the Pain News Network article and uh, from October mm-hmm. 2017. So I'll read the statement, which you can't find on archive.org anymore, but uh, the Payne News Network still has it. Uh, the pri- preliminary financial review identified significant discrepancies and missing records and financial documentation for compensation and expense reimbursements paid to Miss Ash over a significant time period. Several of the expenditures are substantial and have raised significant questions as to whether they were appropriate for reimbursement from donor funds. So, that just makes me laugh. So just, so what happened? Literally... I could go in that article, uh, Dave Herman was saying, I didn't want this to happen, uh, etc. So so what's your hearing side that of this? Again, he- hearing that again, I just have to laugh out loud. This was simple record-keeping sloppiness. That statement sounds like there were thousands and thousands of dollars misappropriated. Keep in mind, I was only yeah. being paid a $1,000 stipend a month to work. The reason that stipend was only $1,000 is because I was receiving, and I still receive, Social Security disability I, benefits. I, yeah, so. I, I actually have the last the 990s from the last year you were in. This is 2017. That year yes. it, it says you were paid $30,000. Uh, upstream Consulting was paid 306 something thousand dollars that year. That's so just... uh, so you were getting super rich from the AK. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and what happened was I disobeyed a command. I was commanded to go back through three years of records that I already had line by line expensed it all out, mm. had it all explained. It didn't need to be done again. It would have taken months of my time and I didn't have months of time to spare. I disobeyed an order. I didn't go back through the three years. I know I knew I didn't need to. I was so busy and we had so little time for formal board meetings and and things like that. It was just a little bit of sloppiness is what it was. That's all it was. They just they wanted me gone. We never planned on keeping people around very long. We signed contracts for six months and we thought we were going to only have some people around for six months. And I was clear that I thought this would be a six month job, but then it became clear to me that the work was that was being done. Now don't, no. don't get me wrong. I trusted everything Mac had said. I trusted so, his so, every word. Okay. When was, he was hired in that September Yes, okay. he was hired that September. And you thought it was going to be like a six-month contract. I did. I yeah. thought it was going to be a six-month. With I upstream wasn't consulting. Be... Yes. Yeah. 
And I didn't think I was going to be raising millions of dollars for years. I did, That's not what I wanted to do. This was my organization. That's not what I wanted to do with it. When it came time to renew their contracts, we did, we needed to renew them. We still had a big fight on our hands and we did have the money to renew them. Mac Haddow was instrumental in, in helping me to raise that money. But again, it was supposed to be temporary and I was supposed to transition from chair of the board, which I stepped down prior to all of this happening. I was to transition from director of the AKA because I remained the director to spokesperson. And that's why I'm on the boards as having a $30,000 salary because I was offered $38,000, I believe it was, something like $38,000 to be the spokesperson um, for the organization. And at that time, I needed a break. And yeah. that's all I wanted to do. I, I wanted see 30000 be... from 2017. That's all. Yeah. 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 And I think we had an agreement. It was either 38,000 38, sounds like the number, but I could be wrong. Okay. I, it might have been, it might have been 48 because, you know, that was not all of the months of that year. Okay. So yeah. with my contract, seeing those salaries next to mine, just it's, it's just humiliating. I started the organization. I, did you know most of the hiring i did all of the hiring with a team or i did have a team of course um but i was behind all of the hiring and all of those decisions yeah. and to then be accused of things that are laughable it destroyed my brain it destroyed my spirit and it destroyed my heart when that happened i did not think i was going to survive that period of my life i the aka was my blood sweat and tears i still have a hard time to this day even though i don't i truly don't care what people think about what happened because i know the truth and the truth is what matters. And if people decide to believe something other than the truth, that's their problem and not mine. But there was, you know, probably up until eight months ago, I probably couldn't have had this conversation with you. I was still, I was still so hurt. You don't bring up an organization from the very baby grassroots uh, you don't put your blood, sweat, and tears into it. You don't spend 12, 14, 16, 18 hours, sometime days working. You don't travel the, the country um, and play whack-a-mole and put fires out and deal with the import alert. And you don't do all of that without coming away, without extracting a little blood and sweat and tears. And the blood, sweat and tears that came from my ousting was, I thought that it was going to be un un unsurvivable. And yet I picked myself back up 
and I got to helping other organizations and other uh, vendors. I helped vendors with their PR. I helped create a PR uh, organization that lasted for a little while, but that didn't, the funding didn't last. It was called the Kratom Information Resource Center. And I was with the Kratom Trade Association for some time. And that was also an organization that's funding ran out. Um, these were all right after I left the AKA. Yeah. Up until just six months ago, I was still helping some vendors with their messaging and with import issues. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you about all these other groups. There's the Botanical Education Alliance, Kratom Trade Association, uh, Kratom Information Resource Center. I, I see the, all these, and none of them have been active for like two years or something. And it, it's like, yeah. what what's happening to these other organizations to get started? I don't get it. I think there should be more organizations that can, uh, you know, do other things. I think they're giving up because... A lot of these organizations are some of the same people that were involved since the beginning. I know Kratom Trade Association, or it might have been Kratom Trade Alliance at the time, I don't remember. Um, that was people who were involved before. That, that was Those were people who were advocates before the AKA was even born. The Kratom Information Resource Center, that was my idea and it was funded by a vendor who pulled out his money because he decided it, it was better used on a local level so we just never got to raising money to fund them again and i always planned on coming back through the Kratom Information Resource Center. I always had plans to come back to this day. I thought I was going to come back through that because it was going to be a media organization focusing solely on media. And unfortunately, the head of the public relations group that was helping to run Kratom Information Resource Center passed away and that was devastating, and the um, future of the Kratom Information Resource Center was when he passed away, it passed away with him, unfortunately. Yeah. So all of these organizations come around and they try, and I think they see one, they think the work is being done. They think they think far more work is being done that's actually being done because when you look at the work that's actually being done, it doesn't compare to the kind of work that was being done back in 2015, 2016, 2017. I want to preface this next part by saying the information about money and payments we're referring to is primarily from an investigation by the journalist Edward Erickson published in Courthouse News, and the link is posted in the description.
you were a Kratom user yourself, and it was just a more sincere grassroots movement. He does good work with the laws. I mean, he goes and lobbies and and gives them a word pretzel and gets these guys to maybe pass some of these laws. I don't think people realize that. I trusted Mac. I trusted everything he said to me up to the day that I was accused of misappropriating funds. I trusted everything about Mac Haddow. And I thought that he was, and I still think that he was a godsend to the movement. But no, when I'm told that he's made $1.4 million in the last couple of years, that just, that breaks my heart because that means that The AKA is not the organization that it once was. It's no longer a grassroots organization. No grassroots organization would pay anybody that amount of money. My my problem, my problem is, okay, that could afford a lot of other lobbyists that does what he does. Precisely. Not, not with the skill and experience, but effectively, uh, if they're sincere, uh, and and it also could. uh, support better media. I, I had no knowledge of any of this when I got into this. I got hired in 2018 to write about Kratom. I started the podcast in fall of 2019, and I was like, "Oh man, I'm gonna I'm gonna just do this podcast for like 10 episodes at least, and then I'll and then I'll work up like the skills to interview somebody like Matt Cato or the bigger bigger players, and then I right. and then and then I start getting this messaging where oh this guy supports us but he's not I, I don't know if he's he meant me but he was if he was talking about somebody and I was like that's weird and and there's and he's like there's a divide in the kratom community and I'm like I have no idea about any of this I'm a newbie I'm trying and expand it so that was like one of the main questions about like it seemed like that an elitist thing where they the- didn't want me or somebody like me or to interview other people and 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 yeah. aren't we supposed to expand this thing so more people be educated and that's all i was trying to do i wasn't trying to be a a big uh whatever you know and i was right. just trying to interview people and just like get the word out that's always been my goal Mm-hmm. And it's just and it's just counterproductive to me in general. I mean, I don't know all, all about the money and the laws and all that shit, but it, it just turned me off. And then I kept digging and digging. I mean, I've already done the Google thing with him, you know, with the thing in the 80s uh, with T-Bear yeah. and all that stuff. Anybody can Google that that's even curious. But uh, I, I was like, okay, whatever, you know. That, and in that all point, fairness, yeah. I did hire. I did hire him, knowing that 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 happened. Of course, because like every other guy is like that in Washington. But, yeah, but no. I mean, I knew I needed. I knew we needed Senator Hatch, and yeah. I knew we yeah. had a straight line to Senator Hatch, and I knew we needed Mac Haddow because he was the only lobbyist in the country that knew what Kratom was about, and we had 30 days to uh, fight this ban. So it was, you know, quick decision-making on my part, but like I said in the beginning, I trusted every word 
from his mouth. I trusted every recommendation, every suggestion. Sometimes, of course, we would have disagreements as people who work in the same organizations did. And if I felt strongly about an issue and he felt strongly about an issue, if it came down to it with me as director, I would have the ultimate say, but Mm -hmm. I trusted him as a former lobbyist. I think I was only registered in one state a long time ago, but I was a lobbyist. I would go to D.C. and lobby on forest issues and endangered species and wilderness issues. And I would come here to Oregon and I would go to Salem and lobby here. But as a lobbyist, I know that you can train someone in a very short amount of time to learn this Kratom issue. There should be money that goes to, to media. And we see a little bit of media. I saw some commercials. They recently did some more of those good commercials that I like, actually, because it's Kratom stories. That's what I started to do when I started writing. I just wanted to get people's stories because we had so many written on our website. Great. It's great to have those commercials. And you but you just wonder how many commercials could we have gotten had one point four million dollars not gone into the pockets of staff? According to that report. It's not just Matt Caddell who's receiving these enormous amounts of money. It's Pete Canlin who is receiving the amount of money for doing administrative tasks. They've been friends for decades. Yeah. And um, fellow supporters. I don't think it's a coincidence that the board of the AKA is Mormon. I think that I find it very interesting. I think it's an interesting coincidence that one of their board members, Jamie Ziegler, is somebody who who Matt Caddell converted to Mormonism. That's what I was told by a reporter. I don't know that firsthand. And he's not Um, necessarily a bad guy. He was uh, Matt Caddell's mailman, as far as I know. Uh, And he got on the board of Kratom. And by the way, it's Happy International Women's Day. Uh, I I don't see any women... Uh, on the board there and there used to be no. you uh, and there's yes. so many good uh, women advocates and I think they should be uh, on that board in front of uh, somebody's mailman uh, that's just my yes. opinion I don't know anything about uh, nonprofits, but I don't know we had two women on the board with me I'm told they were offered contract positions. This is how the AKA gets away with not having employees is they offer people contract positions. Mm -hmm. And so they don't have to worry about benefits and um, taxes. Uh, It's, it's the, it's on the burden of the person that's hired. Um, So the women were offered contract positions, as far as I know, to, come off the board and then something i was told and this is just a funny joke i don't know if it's true or not 
but I was told that the mail carrier was brought on board because he's an expert in importing and <laughs> exporting. And I'm sorry. That's written somewhere. That is actually it, written somewhere. Yeah. That is something that I find funny. And it, he's a male person. Of course, he's going to be <laughs> See, that's an just expert. Like nothing, nothing against him. Uh, and, and, no. But that is just an indication of uh, we're hiding something. Yes. Everything. It's like I never, I was all gung-ho, but I didn't know the history. I saw Leaf of Faith. And I was all gung-ho. Like Mac seemed to be so like awesome at, uh, you know, getting the laws passed and, and talking a good game. And I'm like, all right, he's like an and and he is yeah and i'm like yeah i like this guy and and but then he started acting like he had something to hide and he just kept and and just for no reason and it was like not a good reason why are you like you're turning me off as a newbie i don't understand why you are but as somebody who's writing about this issue it's only my job to wonder the fuck why I have gone back and forth and back and forth between supporting the AKA and questioning their tactics and supporting them and questioning their tactics. And what ultimately got me to completely distrust what they were doing was when I read that in order to become a volunteer, to serve on the aka with the aka you have to sign a non-disclosure agreement and this was the the kratom consumer council i just wanted to tell everybody that but but yeah go ahead and that ultimately is what got me to say there's something wrong here if they're getting their volunteers to sign non-disclosure agreements there's no such thing in the world i don't care what kind of nonprofit you are that's a consumer based that's got advocacy consumer advocacy in your name and in your mission there's nothing that requires highly confidential information unless you're lobbying and you're going to meet with an actual senator or a house member or something like that, there's nothing that would require a non-disclosure agreement except maybe talking negative about the organization that you're volunteering for. And I feel like that, to me, made it look like they were trying to cover up something. And that's when I decided I have all of these people on my friends list who have been on my friends list for five years, seven years, eight years, who have all got ties to the AKA. And most of these people have signed this agreement. And I just couldn't have those people on my friends list. And apparently it caused quite a stir because it was covered in a, in a newspaper article. It was noted that that was the main reason that I parted ways and started not paying attention to really to what they were doing anymore because <laughs> I just couldn't in good faith 
continue on knowing that these people signed well yeah i mean i i because i was like volunteered to do the creative consumer council i met with a, a representative here i met with the staffer and it was cool and and i i didn't sign that thing because i'm like i can't do my job if i'm gonna sign this i'm gonna right. write about where the fuck i want indonesia um mm-hmm. you went over there we should prefer this. I'll say uh, 95%, I guess, the number that we've all heard and are sticking to of the Kratom that is uh, purchased in the United States comes from in- Indonesia. Uh, a lot yes. of those farmers are being screwed by American businesses. I think they're like yes. purposely driving down the cost of Kratom. What's going on with Indonesia? And and talk about like the organizations you've been part of to try well, to try to make it more sure. just for the farmers. First time when I went to Indonesia back in 2016, I met with the very first organization they had, and it was called the AKB. So it was a funny little coincidence. They it was AKB something something Kratom Borneo. It stood for, I think it was Association Kratom Borneo. I don't know. And then the AKA, and I went over and I gave them a presentation on the issues we were facing in the United States, uh, you know, to make Kratom, it's to have it be so controversial. And we talked about the import alert and we talked about how we could work to get the folks in Indonesia to have cleaner markets so that their products would test had a higher quality and not come over to the United States with things like mold or salmonella. So we used to work together in trying to get the uh, Indonesians to modernize their equipment and a lot of indonesians are very interested in this they want to buy the expensive equipment they're forming farmers co-ops in hopes that they can buy expensive equipment so that you know metal heavy metals aren't found in product i couldn't tell you why there have been so many organizations, so many different organizations, they went from being called PECRINDO, P-E-K-R-I-N-D-O, and that stands for something over in Indonesia that I, I can't remember yeah. now. Yeah, you were involved in that. Um, um, yes. Some of the pictures of you in Indonesia was you were meeting with uh, PECRINDO, I think. Yes, right? those were the folks that started out as the AKB and they turned into PECRINDO. PPHI are the folks that I was working with recently. They were working to get labor costs higher because folks that are out in the field that are picking kratom leaves are being paid labor's wages and there's not enough to support a family. They keep forming organizations and I think they they have problems with funding as well. And then they'll have disagreements and then they'll end up like some of the organizations here in the United States 
that some of them will go defunct. But and, and I heard it's really just businesses taking advantage of poverty there because some farmers will just be like, yeah, I'll sell this for a dollar a kilo. And it's, it's, it's really just like the old uh, story of like, you know, community versus uh, big money coming in flim flam it, it is and then i've heard that there have been talk that involve americans going over and trying to set the price where yeah. wages would be fair for some of the farmers but i don't know how successful those talks have been yeah I and i guess equiv- that- equivalency would be like for people listening and trying to understand the issue would be like fair trade coffee uh tries to do the same thing they try to give the small yes. farmers a good price uh if you buy it you're helping out small farms yes those are the kind of folks that i kept in touch with that i I've been speaking to up until about six months ago. The Indonesians keep forming co-ops. Yeah, yeah. So Why does this keep happening? Because <laughs> yeah. I interviewed these, and all these guys seem like so sincere uh, about it. Yeah. And I just wonder why these groups keep breaking up. The goal of most of the Indonesian leaders and the ones that are at the highest level of power in their business do want to see their local farmers, those that actually are out there picking the leaves, they want to see them have a living wage. But what's happening is the price in America is so low that it doesn't allow for them to give their farmers living wages. And so this is the issue that they face on a daily basis. That's what these folks were talking with you about. Yeah. And that was how can they survive on a non-living wage? And that's where vendors in america come in and vendors really should be giving them it's mostly the non-gmp vendors that come in they offer a ridiculously low price to the american public so they're making it impossible for indonesians to pay their laborers fair labor because it's all of these non-GMP companies that sell kilos for, I don't even know how much a regular kilo goes, something yeah. like $60 a kilo, which is ridiculously yeah. cheap. Some are down to $45 a kilo, uh, and you never know what you're going to get, and that's why it's so important to buy from people stateside who test their products and who can provide you batch number and test results for what you're buying, because you never want to buy product that you don't know what in it. I had my own problem with a company that I was working with, with a a product that I was endorsing. And I found out that there were fillers in it and I had to part ways with that company. And you just never want to be in a position like that. What's happening is these non-GMP vendors, because it costs a lot of money to be GMP compliant, I've heard to be a GMP compliant vendor for the AKA now, suddenly you have to pay 
$5,000, that's just one small bit of the cost of operating GMP. And it used to be $500. Of course, you want to be listed. Everybody wants to be listed. And even like full alkaloid profile on the label. I think that's, I mean, there just isn't the lab infrastructure. And I've talked about this with with John Cachet, who's my partner with the uh, Kratom Science Journal Club. He builds uh, cannabis testing labs in Ohio. And he said, you know, there's lab shopping and everything thing and he said uh he's like there just isn't the infrastructure to have uh a full alkaloid profile labs for kratom and in in the states yet which you know obviously not it would be a lot cooler if there was (laughs) yes it would be yeah it would be so we could do away with this whole idea of strains yeah there are companies out there now that are getting more than 10 alkaloids tested there are a couple at least that i know of that i believe it there's a there's a specialty lab that is becoming better and better at testing kratom and adding more and more alkaloids and i could be Mm -hmm. way off when i say 10 i don't even know but there's a lab called murphy brown labs 10 would be more than enough by the way (laughs) Yeah, I know. I was gonna say maybe I can't remember if it's 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 five to ten. There are labs out there that are proficient in testing more than the metragenine and the seven hydroxy metragenine. They're just very very expensive. If we could get more and more companies testing these alkaloids, it would be a lot less expensive. And just like what's going on in Indonesia, if we could get more and more companies paying living wages and not selling kilos to non-GMP vendors for so cheap that they're putting their own people out of business, then we could have better wages both ways and better information about the product that we're consuming both Mm. ways. It was fun to go to Indonesia too, because the Indonesian culture, they're so friendly. And when you meet them once they treat you from like family. And that's why I've been in touch with the Indonesians for this long is because once you meet them, they treat you as a friend for life. And I've been trying to help them with their problems. And I haven't had much success. You know, I've been trying to get them to be suppliers to certain companies. I've had some successes in some places and I have not had any success in others to get the living wage issue resolved. It is a trip going to Indonesia and seeing the kratom in the raw form because you're looking at plantations where obviously they're purposefully planting kratom and there it's in rows just like corn plantation here Mm -hmm. and then you go to these wild areas where it's completely in the rough and in the raw 
and you're in the mud and there are no roads. You've got Indonesians picking Kratom from their little motorbikes. And it is really, really hard labor. And these folks need to be rewarded with living wage. 2021. We were getting all these emails from the AKA and because I was angry. Yeah. You know, Kratom's going to be illegal in a month. next month. Uh, in 30 chat. days. There was one that actually said it'll be illegal in 30 days. In May 2021, they sent out something that said something about a blood sport and the divide in the Kratom community that I by the time they sent that out I knew what they were talking about but this whole divide yeah. thing was like what the fuck and like anybody that was like conscientious that had or or have paid attention to the AKA since uh, since at least when I did which is fall of 2018 like what is this what are they doing what are they hiding uh, right. and so you wrote about that on your Facebook and all that and uh, you just said uh, I wonder why a posting announcing my exit and a little comedy was being lumped in with an alleged blood battle or they actually yeah. said blood sport I think and I was suddenly under attack by old friends and allies now right after this is when we start corresponding and so yeah. like what happened there and like what did you go through because every time that these was... panics happen and I have like I have like a guy that always emails me this guy he would like be scared Kratom was uh, gonna be outlawed in a month and I'm like this poor guy is uh, traumatized I just feel like with every one of these scare things they're taking advantage of traumatized people to get donations and they're dancing right. around like gold prospectors every time they send one of these out and they get they suddenly get a rash of thousands of dollars well, or whatever. What happened was I was in a group and I made a comment that I said there was no way that Kratom was going to be banned in 30 days and that I thought that the folks who support AKA deserved an apology because I didn't think that was fair. And that was also when I decided to part ways with anyone who had signed the non-disclosure agreement with the AKA. And that was hard to do because a lot of those people were people that I respect who now dislike me very much because they see me as a disruptor. When I'm just a fact teller, I'm not trying to disrupt anything. I'm trying to give the history and say where I think resources could be better allocated. And I'm just being realistic about how the legislation that's been pursued so far is just legislation in name. It needs a little bit more work to be enforced. I took the bloodbath to refer to me and I think even you. Um, I think you had done an article that might have said something negative. I don't remember, but I I took it to me. I, yeah. Well, I, what I did was that the WHO time. Uh, yeah. yeah. yeah, I, yeah I just yeah, said, yeah. why can't you comment right to the Federal Register? That's all I said. Yeah, basically. And, well, 
<laughs> so so it was prior to that and it was just so it was just me and it was a it was a comment I made and the reason that I thought it was directed at me in the blood sport is because I had all of these people who used to be friends come on my personal page and cuss me out for saying negative things about the AKA and that was simply from calling them out saying Kratom is not going to be banned in 30 days and I don't want to have anything to do with anybody who has signed this non-disclosure agreement because I'm fed up. I'm fed up at them telling people that you've got 30 days for Kratom and you're causing a panic. I'm fed up with the amount of money that they're paying their not staff, but contractors, I'm fed up that they would call a little comment that I made. They used to do this all the time with, with things that I said. They would call that a bloodbath. I mean, who am I? I'm just a girl named Susan Ash who happened to found the AKA who sometimes shared her opinions very rarely, very, very rarely did I share my opinions because <laughs> I honest to God, when I was accused of all that led to my ousting, I had a lawsuit. I had a defamation case mm -hmm. there and I chose not to pursue it because I cared far more about the plant than I did about my own reputation. Now, it led to some really down times for me, and it led to me being the victim of a lot of hatred and a lot of accusations that just there was no proof of. The last one, that bloodbath thing, I think it was just an excuse to get more money. I think they felt threatened and whenever they feel threatened by somebody that has a different opinion, they'll call that a war or a bloodbath yeah. and they'll this, circle their troops. This is my, this is my main, cause I wouldn't even looked into this if they were just putting out good messaging and I probably wouldn't even have looked into it because I was all gung-ho about them right when I started. It was like in March 2020 when COVID started and they, they come yes. out with this like extreme because they were worried about their funds drying up I guess because I was worried about my funds drying up I was like buying I was like oh we gotta buy greens we gotta go buy beans let's and I understood it was like a frenzied time but there's traumatized people in this community they're either traumatized from chronic yes. pain or they're traumatized from drug addiction and, and some kind of trauma that usually causes drug, drug addiction and then it got to a breaking point during that COVID uh webinar uh and and i was like the fuck is going on here i i didn't talk about on yeah. them on here because of the same reason you said because i don't want it to hurt yeah. 
right. you know, is it best to even call somebody out in public or I don't know. It's like a cult like thing of of controlling people with fear and and there's vulnerable people in this community and and it stems from like my guys from Kratom Science paid for me to go take drug and alcohol counseling classes because I felt like I wow. should because I was interviewing a lot of former addicts. I want to be more yeah. knowledgeable uh, and I was basically updated I had heroin addict friends, you know, I never judged them yeah. and, and they always could talk to me about it. And, and that's why I was like, when, when I started, I started remembering them cause it had been years since I've been in touch with them. But I started remembering them when I interviewed people about Kratom because they're like, right. yeah, I could talk to you. And they're like, tell me all their deepest secrets, like on this podcast. And I'm like, wow, that's like a responsibility that I have to, uh, I should like learn more about what they're going through. So these guys spent $1,400 for me to go to classes at community college. There are people that want to help people in this space. And there are other people who see vulnerable people and yeah. think, hmm, I could take advantage. What can people do? Because lobbying is nothing but going to talk to people. It yeah. just takes money to fly there and talk to them. It takes a lot of effort. But what they need to do is write to their Congress people. First, they can write to their state representatives because at the state level seems to be the only level that we're, uh, we ever deal with. We haven't seen any federal legislation. People can write their stories, their testimonies to their state representatives, and they don't even have to have a bill number. It can just be an educational letter. And they can say, this has been my experience with Kratom. There's been some controversial information put out about this, but here's my experience. And it saved my life and it got me off of opioids and or it's helped with my pain. It's helped with my anxiety. Federal, they can also send their stories and say they just are writing to make sure that nothing happens on the federal level to ban Kratom. And they could be you know, educating their legislators for the first time on the Kratom issue. Who knows? We know that not every single legislator has been in, has been introduced to Kratom because not every single legislator has heard of it. Then also they should be watching what their city councils are doing, looking at things on a municipal level or a city council level. They can be writing and just saying, this is my story. You may have heard of this leaf that comes from Southeast Asia. And it's in the coffee family, and it's something that has helped change my life and made me a productive member of society. That's the most important thing that legislators want to hear. First of all, you need to make sure that you're a registered voter, because if you're not a registered voter, they're not really going to pay much attention to you because you're not one of their constituents, excuse me. So, you know, you want to mention you're a registered voter in their district and this is Kratom. This is what it's done for you. This is what you fear. You fear that it may be banned. And these are the reasons why you think it shouldn't be banned. And you should have some links to some 
current science um, because there's a lot of new stuff that's coming out that's good to use. If you have legislation in your state and you can get a meeting with your legislator, all the power to you. And there are guides out there that are guides to lobbying. I wrote a guide to lobbying for Kratom that if anyone wanted, I'd be happy to give to them. You can do this on your own. If you can get a, me- a meeting with your state representative, you don't need anybody's permission to do that. Yeah. You can go do it <laughs> all on your own. That's a good message. It, it seems like people think you need permission when you From really organizations need to that you're pay- donating it, to, yeah. Exactly. You absolutely do not need permission to go talk to your state representative about Kratom. And it's important that you do so if you're in a state that has a ban that's proposed. It's important that you do talk to your state representative. It's important that you do talk to your House of Congress member or your Senate or your senator. If there's uh, anything federal that comes along. But, yeah, you absolutely do not need permission to lobby. It's easier than you think. It's more about being polite and telling your story than anything else. Really, really being polite and having a a story that is going to influence your state legislator because it's going to get sympathy. A lot of them are shocked that this plant can help people get out of heroin addiction. Stories like that are what make or break a bill. It's all about the constituent. These people work for you. These Congress people work for you. So remember that when you're going in to talk to them, you be polite, you tell your story, but remember they work for you. And it's their job to listen to you. So the more people that we have going in to talk to our legislators about this issue, the more important they're going to hold it, the more attention they're going to give it, and the more likely they're not going to be on board with a ban if they hear these these success stories. So as far as like media, what do you think needs to be done? Like, I have this little podcast. I mean, uh, I hope we have a couple thousand listeners on a good day. <laughs> but uh, what can you do with like a media platform that that you would you would like to see? So there are some little things that people can do. Uh, one little thing that's not that little, but it is little when you think about it, because it's only 165 words, is you can write a letter to the editor of your paper. If your paper writes an article about the opioid addiction problem or anything that you can relate it to Kratom, you can write a letter to the editor and it's yeah. just 165 letters and you tell your experience and um, you know that they will sometimes publish letters that don't have to do with articles that they've written but if they're more likely to publish letters to the editor if they relate to articles that have been written yeah. by the paper 
But that's one thing you can do. Another thing you can do is write, uh, get together with, say, your friends with a scientist or a doctor, and or you just want to do it yourself. You can write a whole a whole opinion editorial, which is much longer, and it's covered in the paper. Uh, That's a good and, idea. Yeah, and you write an, an opinion piece, so you get more words, and you can say more. Especially and a lot can, of these small papers, they are looking for content all the time. All the time. And, and if you the give smaller, them free content, that's uh, good <laughs> for them. Yes, 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 yes. I mean, because there's not going to be a week that goes by without a paper saying something about an opioid or opioid addiction or opioid. It seems mm. like it, at least lately. And so look for those articles in the papers and then look for those are those are your chance to write a letter to the editors to say this is what helped me and i'm afraid that it's going to be banned you know you just you tell your story in 165 letters and that's it's hard it's it's a it's a short amount of space but um you know you hit on the highlights your age your profession your what you do as a protective member of society and and your location that's free media and then if you see a story that comes out about kratom that's negative which we see all the time hmm. you can write to the reporter and say you know your facts are off don't be rude. The Kratom community has a bad habit of being really rude to reporters if they get something yeah. wrong. And that's 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 sort of our fatal flaw is that we tend to be rude when we see people who disagree with our position on Kratom. Yeah. You don't want to be rude. You want to approach a reporter and say, I think you've got something that's inaccurate. And this is my story. And here are some links to new science that you may not be aware of. And maybe you could write a correction piece or, you know, a follow up article to share the other side. You know, the, the number of times that I did that and was successful when I was with the AKA was phenomenal. We got all kinds of new articles and a couple of times we got uh, actual television stories a couple of times we would get stories that would come out about the new heroin and we would mm. write in and we'd say this is inaccurate this is a leaf in the coffee family this is my story and they'd say hey okay well can you find me someone who can i can uh interview locally who can talk to me about this and we would always have and this is talking about this is talking about back when i was with the aka and we were working media so hard we would always have a list of people in different states that we could call upon who if there was a bad newspaper story or if there was a bad uh, television story that we would have a list of people 
we could rely on to go and correct those stories or be on standby to do interviews. So if you live in a place where a bad story comes out, a bad television or newspaper, then you request that you know, you tell your story and you request that another story be told from yeah. the other side because and if it's a good reporter and it's a fair reporter, they're gonna they're gonna follow up. Because, and they're looking for content too. That's the thing. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And especially something unique that has to do with this opioid issue because they're probably so sick of covering it that it would be nice to give them a new, I recovered a story. Angle. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I recovered story and that and kind of how. angle. Those are just some simple ways. If you're going to take on the television interview, then you want to be trained by somebody. You want to just get advice from somebody before you do so because there are certain do's and don'ts when you are on television and and things like that Mm. but i'm still out here i'm still out helping people who want advice who need advice i'm you know i'm not employed i am still dealing with health issues so i still have time to help people who want help who need help who think that things can be done a little bit differently i went away for a little while because i just got so frustrated but i'm still here and i'm still a resource that people can use if they'd like to use me just susan d as in doll ash at gmail.com and if somebody would like help in their community or help in their state i'm i'm here and willing to help the consumer's voice has been silent too long and it's really time to bring it back to the consumer that's who makes the decision makers listen in the first place and that's who they're going to listen to in the future no matter what organization is around it's up to the consumer who relies on the product to get the message to their elected officials that this is something that shouldn't be banned this is something that should be studied more, researched more, and should remain accessible to adults 18 and over until such a time that there is consensus that this is safe for adults to use. Thank you all for listening. You can contact me, gallagher.liberty at gmail.com. Thank you very much, Susan Ash. The music is Risey. The song is Memories of Thailand. The Kratom Science Podcast is produced by me, Brian Gallagher, for kratomscience.com. Take care.